0: Oh, stop a car,
1: etch at Namaha, Vasudeva, Sutam Devam. Kamsa devaki paramanandam,
0: krishnam vande jagat gurum. in the last class, we were studying the fourth and the fifth sloka
1: of the third chapter of Srimad Bhagavad Gita. So just for a quick recapitulation, let us go to the fourth and the fifth slokas and try to have a synopsis of the idea behind it. The fourth sloka, na karmanam anarambhat, naish karmyam so without
0: initiating any action, means negatively by abstaining from action,
1: Anārambhat means you have not started any action. That's not the way to attain naishkarmiya the state of actionlessness the word nishkarmya means actionlessness if i cannot go to the state of actionlessness just by merely abstaining from action so karmanam anarambhat samadhi so by mere physical renunciation. Here the word sannyasa indicates the physical renunciation. That I renounce physical. I cannot attain perfection just by mere physical renunciation. So as in the last class we were discussing that sometimes we feel that it is the actions which is the cause of our distraction. So much responsibilities, so much Turmoil actions, the turmoil of action that never allows us to be at peace with ourselves. And so, the very first impression is that if I can somehow renounce my action and just be relaxed with myself,
0: spending the day throughout the day without doing any action, that's the way I can go beyond all
1: action. So here Bhagavad Gita Bhagavan is saying that that's knowing for certain that's not the way. Why? We found, we will realize within a very short time that the moment I renounce action, it sometimes happens that we go to some scenic place, very quiet place. And the first impression, oh, if I could have stayed there for long periods, my responsibilities do not allow me if, my, if life somehow gives me chance, how nice it would be to just stay in this type of environment calm and quiet, I can dive deep within myself, enjoy the placidity of my psyche and that and that thereby be relaxed. You will find it's very if you really get the chance. Within a very short time you will feel that now you feel like again going back to the world of karma. Because you find that though there is no
0: external action, you have left the world alone. You have left the world far behind, but you cannot leave your
1: mind. You are carrying your own mind. And it's the mind
0: that is creating the havoc. The first uh, realization that comes when we are alone is that it's the world which is it is not the world that is inimical towards me. My real enemy is my own mind. The way it makes me dance at its own whims, that
1: never allows me to sit quiet. So the f- second line indicates that just when mere renunciation of acceptance by mere physical renunciation, you can never attain perfection. Then you find that how the vagaries of the mind is constantly disturbing you. But the first line what it says without initiating any action, you cannot reach the state of actionlessness. as if it is saying, through action, we can go to the state of inaction. Many will be commenting on this line by saying that Karma is meant for Chitta-Shurti. shuddhi. is meant for cleansing the mind, when through Karma, when through Nishkam Karma, desireless action, we attain the state of chitta shuddhi, where we cleanse our mind, then we can retire to a place and enjoy the tranquility of my existence. That also is not the real meaning. Here, there is no nowhere it is indicated that by initiating the action, then you have to stop the. You cleanse your mind and then stop the action. It is simply saying that without initiating the action, by merely abstaining from action, you cannot reach the state of actionlessness. So, in the last class, we were indicating that when we are doing any action, which is performance-oriented and not result-oriented. To be performance-oriented, you have to be in the present, totally focused in the action which you are doing. In our life, we find that for any action, when I, any action which, <clears throat> which actually enters in
0: some challenge. Why the challenge? Because I find my skills are not up to it. my skills are not up to the challenge and that speaks of
1: endeavour, a lot of endeavour. So when I am focused, I'm not thinking of the past, I'm not thinking of the results of the action, I have to do the thing perfectly with this type of performance orientation, not result orientation. When I do action, gradually by repeat it. repeated, by repeated endeavour, Gradually, it so happens that my skills meet the challenge. And then you will find that when you are sufficiently skilled, by being focused, you can do an action where you are totally absorbed in it and the total world falls off. You become oblivious of the external world. What to speak of the external world? You become oblivious of yourself. The example which we gave, a surgeon is quite a skillful surgeon when he's operating on the patient for eight hours most probably. A very complicated operation. Till the operation is over. He's so focused, he forgets that he needs to eat, he needs to drink, the hunger, thirst, tiredness, everything falls off. He's not aware. Right. His mind is so focused that the mind, that even a small portion of the mind is not available to take care of even his bodily activities, what to speak of the external world. So he has entered into a state where he is within the body, where action is going on, but he is in a state of flow, enjoying an
0: explainable state of actionlessness, placidity. So that's the thing which has been indicated here
1: that when you are doing an action, let it be the motive of the action, it should be jan sadhan tan siddhi. That what I am doing, let me do it perfectly for the time being, but the goal of my life is just to do it perfectly, nothing else. That I am doing this to attain some other goal I forget for any action, we, have, we are bound to have some aim, some goal. Let us fix that but once it is fixed, now let us forget about the goal. Now I have to take care of the details of it by being meticulously doing it, by fully concentrated to it. If we do it, the result is bound to follow. A mountaineer, when he is planning to just go to the top of the mountain, to the peak, to the Everest, he has to climb the Everest. Yes, at the beginning, at the Before his journey starts, his goal has been fixed. Now he's not bothered about the goal. Now he's very meticulous about each and every step. He knows that a little mistake, a little carelessness will be at the cost of his life. He's very meticulous about his journey. The goal once has been determined is now almost forgotten. Now the more he can be meticulous in his journey, the more perfectly he can go on each and every step in his journey. The goal is just waiting for him. His boundary is there. He need not have to worry about it or think about it. Actually worrying about it is the thing which will take away his mind and won't allow him to focus on it totally and that itself will be a distraction. Constantly thinking of the goal is bound to enter in worries and tensions. I forget about it for the time. Just by worrying about a thing, I cannot change the course of my destiny. Most of the time, we waste our energy just by worrying. By worrying, we cannot change the destiny. What is going to happen is going to happen. Let me give full attention to the present. Automatically, it will take care of the future of my destiny. So be fully focused, do your action and that way, immediately. You need not have to wait for the result in future. It's something which you realize now and here. You will find a wonderful bliss has ensued. The state of happiness is the state of focus. In this world you will find that the moment my mind is not focused, I am unhappy. When you are sitting in front of the computer and simply browsing, you will find That is at the cost of your happiness. Somehow you find you drained out, doing nothing. The same computer when you use to focus on something. You're doing some research work, you're downloading the things which are related to your research work and you're focused in your work. The same, the same computer in front which you're sitting becomes a source of your joy, source of your happiness. He's tremendously happy. He's enjoying the bliss within which comes from that focus. The more we are focused, the more we are happy. In this life, the basic equation behind happiness is this. Whenever we are focused, doing something with full focus, the mind cannot simply waver. The more you are are with yourself, and the more you are with, with yourself, the more you enjoy happiness, the more you are in bliss. So this is the thing which we told even from the standpoint of an atheist, karma yoga is applicable. That's been indicated in the, from fourth to the eighth sloka, you will find that he's not speaking of any higher goal. Just by doing the action perfectly, by being at present, can enter in a state of actionlessness. The fifth sloka indicates what it indicates that kshanam api jatu tishthatyam akarmakrit.
0: That someone may say that okay, if my mind I can I am able to keep my mind tranquil, then there's no need for action. I can be actionless. That I have developed the capacity to
1: keep my mind tranquil without action. But most of us find that when we are not busy, my mind doesn't allow me to be calm. But if I can do it, then can I be actionless? Then also I'm not actionless. That's the thing which the fifth slope is indicating. kaschit kshanamapi, <inaudible> not even for a moment. We can remain, tishthati akarmakrit, without any action. Jatu tishthati akarmakrit. Jatu tishthati In Sandhi it becomes tishthatya, tishthati akarmakrit. I cannot be actionless even for a moment. Karyate hi avasha karma, karyate yavasha karma. Sarve prakriti jayi gurai. Because of being compelled by the gunas, because of the gunas which is born of prakriti, of nature. We are all bound to do action knowingly or unknowingly, constantly. So, what is this gunas? They say that the nature is compromised of three gunas, sattva, raja, tama. The prakriti is three gunamahi. Nothing is there in this world apart from these three gunas. Sattva Raja Tama. So these are the technical terms, sometimes we go on repeating without knowing exactly what it means. That the entire nature constitutes of three gunas, Sattva, Raja, Tama. Sattva is translated as tranquility, Raja as action, Tama as dullness, darkness, uh, uh, what do you say, that ignorance. These are the things which is translated as Tama, now what it makes sense that this world is, uh, constitutes nothing but uh, tranquility, action and darkness. You will say oh, that, uh, this tranquil state, uh, the action state and the laziness, this all constitutes the nature, my nature. But what about the entire world? Yes, I can sometimes say that sometimes I am very tranquil, sometimes I am full of action Sometimes I am lazy. sometimes I feel like doing a lot of action, that is rajasic. But here the sloka is saying the entire world, the entire this prakriti is guna So unless we understand the term in its proper sense, this slokas will, won't make much sense. What actually is three guna is mean, is is. Now sattva, we say tranquillity, it also means illumination. When I am studying something, the knowledge is illuminating my mind. I say it is an act of sattva, sattva sattvic action. That's how we translate. Raja, when I feel like to be very much active, that speaks of my Rajasitata. And when I am, of course, lazy, uh, when I am just full of sloth, not feel like doing anything, when I am indulgent in something, those things are considered as tamas. But again, this, what actually these three gunas mean, that constantly we are within the spell of these three gunas. We cannot think of life without these three gunas. Now let us try to understand from a different perspective. Sattva, illumination, speaks of all thoughts of stimuli. Now, scriptures they say, the organs of knowledge, jnanendriya, the eyes, the ears, the tongue as test, not as speech. With speech becomes karma. When you are testing
0: something, the tongue when you are using for test, your skin and smell, all these are pure sattva.
1: Now again, if you be baffling, how can it be pure sattva? The eyes are pure sattva, they say. The organs of vision, the organs of hearing. organs of smell, organs of test, organs of touch. These are pure sattva. What it is actually indicating? It's indicating that they are the organs through which the world is illumined. You cannot do any action with them. Can you do any action with your eyes? No. Can you do any action with your ears? No. Can you do any action with your nose? No. So I cannot do any action. They are just meant for illumination, even with the tongue. As for the test bud of the tongue is concerned, it is just perceiving, it cannot do any action. As for the muscles of the tongue is concerned, it is used as vagendriya. So sometimes you may confuse that the tongue is both karmendriya and as well as gyanendriya No. The test buds of the tongue are the gyanendriya organs of perception. And the muscles of the tongue, which by its movement, by touching the various parts of your mouth, Enables you to speak of the various alphabets. Not a single alphabet, not a single verna can be spoken without the help of the tongue. The tongue comes into picture, the way you move the tongue, and that speaks of the particular alphabet that has been pronounced. So, but not the muscles of the tongue, but if I take the test buds, they, can they do any action? No, they can only perceive. So, as they can only perceive, they're considered as pure sattva. Organs of action, the hand, the feet, this panipadam, this organ of speech, the organ of evacuation, the organ of uh, what you say, the excretion and evacuation, and the organ of regeneration. These are the five karmendriyas. You can do action with them. Can you in any way perceive anything? No. So that's why they are called pure Rajas. They're pure rajasic. So you have to take the, all the ideas of sattva tama in a comprehensive way to really find out that what this word as Sriganumayi means. So all the organs of actions are pure Rajas. All the organs of perception are the jnanendriyas the perception are the pure Sattva. And what is tamas? The scriptures say the pancha tanmatra
0: and the, this, this tanmatras and the, uh, this pancha bhuta, these are tamas. Pancha bhuta is
1: akasha vayu, akasha the vayu, vayu, ragni, ragni, apa, apa prithivi. The space, the what you say that uh, the air, the fire, um, water, and Prithivi, the earth. These are the five bhutas. Very interesting. What actually it is speaking of? What is the Talmatra and what is the this Panchabhuta? We think that the external world is Panchabhuta. That way, it's very difficult to explain this. Then, what is Talmatra? which is some atomic particles. No. It is actually this, puncture, uh, this five Akashas speaks of what? It is the thing which enables us, to, uh, uh, enables us to perceive the world. That without the space in your eardrum, can you hear anything? No. The space is important. That's why in the plane or anywhere where you are, you don't want that sound, you use the ear plug to block the space. So without the space, the eardrum cannot vibrate and they cannot, you cannot hear the sound. So akasha is corresponds to hearing, the space corresponds to hearing. Vayu, vayu corresponds to the touch, why without the bionic, when, when, we, when, when something touches the skin, what is perceived is actually the difference in the bionic pressure, ear pressure in the subcutaneous level, that, that there is a change in the pressure within your skin that is being perceived as the touch. So this uh, sense of touch is linked with Vayu. Agni, without illumination, I cannot see. The fire is linked with our sense of persa, this, uh, what you say, seeing. Agni apa, if your tongue doesn't salivate, it is dry. Can you test anything? Impossible. The salivation allows us to test anything. If you don't salivate, you cannot test. So Appa is with the test. And Prithvi, when you are going, you find the, you smell the flower. You may say it is the ear. No, it is not the ear. The pollens of the flower, which the flower itself has came out from the soil, the seed has taken the nutrients from the soil and at last, it is all assimilation, at last it is transformed into the flower, it is the pollens of the flower which is everywhere, which air, which enters your, your nostril and then you can smell. So it is the prithiri, the earth, which is linked, directly linked with the smell. So what it is, is panchabhuta is what? Panchabhuta is nothing which the mode of perception by the five sense organs. Now is there anything in this world apart from these five types of perception? We may say now that in the olden days they never knew the elements. There are so many of these elements, the Mandlis, this periodic table speaks of this more than hundred, hundred eight. 108, so these elements are there and then here they are speaking of only five Bhutas. It's not that way, we cannot relate. Uh, to that knowledge this way. We have to try to understand the way they were thinking. The immediate cause of perceptions are the Panchabhuta. Without this Panchabhuta, I cannot perceive anything. This entire world is nothing but this conglomeration of these five Bhutas. Now these five Bhutas never is perceived alone. When I am looking at the flower, the colour is perceived at a particular brain centre, colour perception centre. Its texture is perceived at another uh, center, the shape, for that there's a different center, the smell was a different center. So what I am doing is piecemeal perception, the perception never happens as a whole, it's all piecemeal perception, which is synthesized, conglomerated within the mind to give you a sense of whole. So that's why in Vedanta, the external world is called prapancha. Five elements, the five perceptions are as if mixing up very nicely. Prakrishta rupeena pancha, these five are mixing up very nicely to give you the sense of the whole, the way I'm seeing the world. So all these are happening within. Where when I'm in deep sleep,
0: I see nothing, I'm perceiving nothing. When I wake up, I see the red flower outside. Now, is it that my
1: mind was blank and when I wake up, the flower is outside and it is as if pouring into me to give me the sensation of the flower? No. All the concepts, the redness, which is perceived in the color perception center, it was asleep. It was there. The concept of redness was there. All the concepts of smell, touch, everything was there in my mind. It was just sleeping, it was not active. External stimuli, the external world is a stimuli. When that light pass just enters to my eyes, and I, what is happening? All those concepts which was in deep sleep. That's why these tanmatras, the panchabhutas, are called tamas. Why they tamas? They were in darkness. The perception, the in the stimuli activated them. They were sleeping. Now they became they activated to give me the sense of the flower. And then what happens, I get up, walk out of my room, my karmendriyas have now become active, go pluck the flower, bring it to my room and as per my temperament, if I am a devotee I offer it to the deity in the altar or I may decorate my dining table with a beautiful beautiful vase, whatever it may be. As per my temperament, it is finding expression as action. Now is there anything apart from this as a, as a living being, cons- as a concern, what is constantly happening? The stimuli is activating the mind to give you the sense of perception and that perception is motivating you towards action. So when Gita says, Bhagavan says that the world is constituted of three guna which is born of prakriti and that is for- constantly forcing us to action. In how we can understand it, that the moment the life comes into existence, the what is the first basic principle of life? Stimuli response conditioning. The bacteria, you give some nutrient, it is drawn towards it. If you give some toxin, it will move away from it. So, what it speaks of, stimuli response. The first expression of life is stimuli response conditioning. Within my body, even when I'm sitting just quietly how many reactions are going on and all those reactions the basic thing behind all those reactions is stimuli response conditioning. though we know it or not. the moment the food enters the, or the immediately the organs of digestion will be activated. the saliva the, the saliva is secreted, the, all the digestive juices will be secreted in your stomach, the blood will come and assimilate. I will absorb then assimilation. Everything is happening because of the stimuli. Part, a, in a particular form, the stimuli is coming and the response is happening. Can I stop that? Constantly being a living being, I cannot go beyond this stimuli response conditioning, which is being spoken of as prakriti jay gunay. These three gunas, the interaction, the interplay of these three gunas is constantly going on. The stimuli is getting converted into response, constantly. How the stimuli is getting converted into response? A stimuli can in no way activate a stone particle. A stone remains a stone because it's the mind where you have all those tanmatras, the piecemeal perceptions as a concept is already there. It's being activated by this stimuli to give a sense of hope. They, These piecemeal perceptions they now conglomerate to become prapancha. But Krishna, upena pancha. These five con- conglomerates together to generate this pancha and that motivates you towards action. So this is what constitutes our existence. This is constantly going on. We cannot stop that. If we are stopped, it means we are dead. So action cannot be stopped as such. That we say we be actionless. How can we be actionless? Life means action.
0: So without action, there cannot be life. Even a person who is in coma, deep coma, appears to be
1: actionless, but the doctor stays still living, why? Because the ECG do show some curve. When the curve goes flat, then the doctor says no life. Then only there's no life. As long as there's life, there is action. The waves, the curves will show that there is action. When only it becomes flat, then only there's no action, you're dead now. So we are bound to do action, knowingly or unknowingly. Kaariyate hi avasha. Because we think those are the actions which I am doing consciously. Even those actions which I am doing consciously, I have to do. For them also I am not the doer. And those which are happening unconsciously, of course I am not the doer. Even the actions which are happening consciously, they are also happening because of mere stimuli response conditioning. The mind is befooling us by thinking that I am the doer. But nothing happens because of my own will. It is the will of the it is the programming of the nature by which everything is happening. I cannot stop it. However, I may decide not to do any action. So if that's the case, then why just aimlessly, fruitlessly just try to stop your actions and be unproductive, go on with your action, wherever, in whatever position the life has placed you, go on without the worries and the tensions that let me do it perfectly, at the time being, the past is not in my hand, what has happened has happened, future is not in my hand, it is extremely unpredictable, what is in my hand is the present. What I do with my present moment, I can decide whether I just go on worrying or I do the thing perfectly, I can decide. So be at present and go on doing the things perfectly and that will enter in the state of actionlessness by enabling you to get rid of all the worries and tensions which are like the baggage which we are carrying to enjoy a state of perpetual bliss. It is something which can be realized here and now immediately. You do not have to wait that like, I will have to die after that. It is a post mortem existence. I mean, after death I go to heaven. Nothing like that. Here, now itself, you can enjoy the results of action, and that's what Bhagavan is indicating. Now so let's go to the sixth sloka. What it is saying? Karmendriyani samyamya, aste So now Bhagavan is saying that he is a hypocrite. The Mithyachara, in most of the places it is translated as hypocrite, Mithya-Achara is hypocrite. But the real literal meaning is not actually hypocrite as Rishi Aurobindo translates, I find that's more appropriate means you have taken some endeavour with full sincerity
0: but it is not going to yield any result. Mithya-achara, the achara, the endeavour
1: which you have undertaken, that is Mithya, that is not going to yield any result. What's that achara? That karmendriyani samyam. that all the organs of action I have restrained and I find my mind I cannot control. If the mind is traveling everywhere. I continue to dwell on the sense objects with my mind. So such, such an a, a endeavor to restrain my organs of action and I'm in no way having control over my mind, it enters in a state of delusion. And we are deluding ourselves. We are fooling ourselves. Indriyarthan vimuratma. This this, this, word Indriyarthan has to be linked with the first sentence. This karmendriyani sanyamya, that all the objects of Indriyarthan that we are constantly contemplating on my mind. So he is a vimur. He is deluding. He is totally deluded. The action which he has taken is not going to yield any result. And that's why it is Mithya-Achara. So this aspiring to lead an ascetic life, many people will find what they that they think that to lead an ascetic life, many people will be renouncing their work and just to discover that the renunciation is not accompanied by this, this is the same amount of mental and intellectual withdrawal from the sense of faith. So this creates like it, 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 it is just a type of hypocrisy where one displays an external show of religiosity while internally he's living a life of this, all the trivial sentiments, all the motives, everything is there. So that's, that's why it is better to face the struggles of the world as a Karma Yogi than to lead the life of a false ascetic. So running away from the problems of life by prematurely taking sannyasa is not the way which we can think of uh, our spiritual evolution. So Sri Ramakrishna used to speak of Markata Vairagya. The word Markata means monkey. Markata Vairagya. Monkey denunciation. What it speaks of, Sri Ramakrishna jokingly used to say that when I went to certain religious gatherings where all were meditating. I found that their meditation is just like the meditation of a monkey. Why? As, as Ramakrishna could as if scan into their mind, he found that it was full of vagaries, of plans. Once Rani Rashmani was uh, sitting beside Ramakrishna when Ramakrishna was performing his worship and he was singing some devotional song, he could realize that Rashmani's mind has went somewhere else he slapped her and brought her back to her senses. That sitting here thinking of something else, thinking of some lawsuit which she has to, she has to face. All those things that she is thinking and Ramakrishna understood. So that's our mind. Markkata It's like a monkey. It is jumping. Ramakrishna jokingly told that I found that just sometimes you will find the monkeys are sitting quietly it may give an appearance that they are as if meditating. But Ramakishra says actually what? They are planning that who's, in whose house the plantains, the bananas are ripened. So where he has to jump and when he has to jump, when in the afternoon most probably they are having a siesta, sleeping, that's the time we will go and attack those places. Those are the plans which are going on. But you see that monkey sitting quietly as if meditating but the mind is constantly planning. So that is the monkey meditation, that type of vairagya. Sometimes what happened, we find that because someone has passed away or because of some sudden shock, a type of renunciation came. And we take that too seriously and leave our hearth and home. Sri Ramakrishna is giving that example, that a person being tormented by the challenges of life left his home, went to Banaras, Kashi. And after a few days no one knew where he has went. And then after a month a letter came that don't think of me, I am quite okay, I have started a small grocery shop in Kashi. Means he could at the, at the spur of the moment he renowned, and when he went there his mind again drags him back to the sansar. He cannot continue with that type of life. And that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying this monkey renunciation, denunciation, So where our mind is, that's our state of being. In the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, we find Ramakrishna is giving an example of two friends. The two friends were walking down the road and suddenly uh, they came near a place where some Bhagavata recital was going on. So one of the friends told, wow, so now so nice, Bhagavata recital is going on. Let me just go and enjoy uh, the recital of Bhagavata. I will go and listen to that. The other friend was not interested. He okay, you want, you can go. Uh, I will go somewhere else. And the other friend at last ended up in a place in a brothel. So this, the one who was, one went to the uh, this Bhagavata recital, and the other went to the brothel. And now the one who was listening Bhagavata, in a very short time he got bored. He told, "What all nonsense he is speaking, and I am wasting my time here. My friend must be enjoying." And the friend who was in the brothel, he thought, "Oh, he was repenting. I am at last ha- ended up in such a place. See, my friend must be in such an uplifted state." Enjoying the recital of Bhagavata, and when they died, Ramakrishna is saying the one who was listening to the Bhagavata was taken to the heavens by the Vishnu and those who were one, the one who was in the brothel was taken to the Golaka. By uh, sorry, those who was in the one who was in the uh, here in the Bhagavata recital was taken by the Dutas to the lower. Worlds of existence, and the one who was in the brothel was taken by the Vishnu. In the Vaikunta. So, what the story states that where your mind is, that's your state of existence. So, that's the thing. That if we are have physically renounced, and our mind is dwelling on all the sense objects, then it is a nityacha What speaks of that? Where my mind is, that uh, that's my identity. So my I, I am actually extremely worldly am attached because my mind is attached and the one who through karma extreme action but being focused is enjoying the tranquility within he is enjoying the state of the real sannyasa so that's his the real existence so that's why varwani is saying that don't resort to pityacha don't do something which is not going to yield any result you're simply deluding yourself. So that is Vimud You are Vimuda. You're deluding yourself. So that's been indicated by the word Vityachara in the sixth sloka. And let's proceed to the seventh sloka what is saying yes to Indriani Manasa. Yes to Indriani Manasa. Niam Yarabhateir Juna Karma Yogam Asattam Savishishya. To so the contrary the one who has renounced physical, all the actions, physical renunciation, and is constantly thinking of the objects of the senses that was spoken of in the sixth sloka. In the sixth or seventh, he's speaking of the Karma Yogi. Yestu indriyani, Manasa Niammya Aravhate Arjuna. So those who control their senses with the mind, all the organs of jnanindrias, the organs of perception. With their mind and engage the organs of actions, karmendriyai, karma yoga. In the action, the karma yoga. Karma yoga again, which speaks of performance-oriented action, not present-oriented action.
0: They are superior, right? They have calmed down their mind. They have entered into a state of flow, as we are discussing again and again,
1: and they have they are enjoying the tranquility. So they are. They are the one who excel, vishishyade. They're superior. They excel. They prove to be some, they prove to have attained a state which is not attainable by the majority. That is To Vishesha means that the qualities which distinguishes me from others. So most of the people are deluded. You can enjoy that uniqueness, the state of tranquility, that uniqueness, the unique state of tranquility. By doing action in the uh, art, as, as an, actions as an art, it's not art, this, this just in the default mode, the way people do action. You have designed it in such a way, you have oriented it in such a way that it enables you to be focused with what you are doing, not constantly chasing up the results. Then you can enjoy the state of tranquility. That's the thing which is is saying. That's why we find in Bengali this common adage, he says, Shangshari Shangshari habera. Shadhu habera. Shadhu habera. The sixth and the seventh sloka speaks that. That most of us do just the opposite. We pose to be a holy man. We really never become a holy person. We pose to be very, very
0: tranquil. We are not tranquil. And we, what you say that? we uh, are, we become very extremely attached, shangshari. We cannot
1: pose to be just a uh, worldly person. The, our aim should be just the contrary, the shangshari be pose to be a very worldly person, pose. When you're doing action, the other will think, the way he's so attached, that speaks that when you're doing anything in a focused way. The others might think you're extremely attached to that action, otherwise why you are uh, so much deeply engaged in that action. But within your heart you know that it is not for the hankering of the result, just to enjoy the bliss which comes out of action, any short of action. What action you do is not important, how you do is important. How in The way in we, we do the action there, the king is at par with the sweeper. If they are doing it perfectly in the sense of Karma Yoga, both are enjoying bliss. Otherwise, if just we take the action by itself, there may be just demarcation, there may be hierarchy. but if you just see the way and how we are doing there is no hierarchy. both are enjoying the bliss. So how are thisj that you may appear to be extremely engrossed in action. but don't really get engrossed in the way that you are hankering the reserve, Shahu. and when you are engrossed in action, actually you are totally detached. So you have become a real pure, because your mind is not distracted at all. Don't pretend to be just a pure person. So that's possible only when we can we are doing the action with a sense of Karma Yoga. So compared to this Mithyacha in the last yoga, we find that because of the proper orientation, he's the enjoyer of the greater result, much greater result. Is enjoying the bliss which we all want. There is no one, the common thing, the common goal of all human beings is bliss. Whether I am a doctor, whether I'm an engineer, or a businessman, or a teacher, or a sannyasi, whatever it is, the thing which we all want is bliss. And the bliss is being attained by the person who can do the karma with proper orientation, not one who has renounced. It is like just climb, climbing that mango tree, which we give, example which we give. The orientation makes the big difference. It's not the endeavour but the orientation. But suppose there is a mango tree and there are two walls and you just hurriedly keep your ladder in one of the walls and climb to find that the mango tree is not reachable. And then you realize, if I would have kept the ladder on the other wall, just the next wall, the mango, this ripened mango would have been reachable. It would, have, it would be something nearby. So in, for both the cases, when you're climbing the ladder, the endeavour in both the cases is the same. But you get the result only when you have kept the ladder on the correct one. So this speaks of the orientation. That in our life, so much endeavour goes west. As Swami Vivekananda in one place, just when he finds that the people are not convinced about the spiritual way of life, he's very nicely saying, but how many lives we have wasted? Why not waste one life for me? Me means this ideal. Just give it a try. So many lives we are wasting, that our entire life has been wasted by this false orientation. That's Vimura, that's deluded orientation. Change the orientation. That let me forget about the result. Let me do the action. Let me forget about laziness, that I renouncing of action. That what happens, our renunciation uh, from where it comes, from the frustration that when I am doing it, we go from one pole to the other. We do the actions with all uh, hankering for the result and at last when we find that we cannot attend the result and then a false renunciation comes and then we go to the state of action lists. So these are the opposite polarity where we are constantly, like a pendulum, we are going from this one pole to the other, that extreme action with attachment and then a false detachment and again I find I cannot stay detached, again I'm piteously like a slave being drawn towards action with attachment, again I come to this detachment. So it's, it's just a waste of energy, give a different orientation, let me forget about the result, let me do the action just for the sake of the action, perfectly and I offer it to the in the feet of the Divine. Even if you are not believing in God, forget about it let me develop a test of doing the thing perfectly, I don't bother about the result. You will find that the happiness is something which is immediate, it comes, like a cash down payment, immediately you get it, you do, you get it. And then you find that I I was just aimlessly chasing for something which never gave me any result, like a pendulum, it was just forcing me to swing from one point to the other. And now I attain a state of equipoise, as a balance. So as for the endeavor is concerned, it was the same. But as with orientation, one endeavor can give you the result, the other is in for, for the other, the goal is far fetched. You can never reach the goal. So now, as a conclusion, Bhagavan in the eighth slot is saying. So this from the fourth to the eighth <clears throat> here we are taking Karma Yoga from the secular aspect. He is not speaking of any other dimensions of existence to which we have to be aware of, nothing, just the action which we are doing for the sake of action. So this even in, that then, as we are saying, even from a secular point of view, we can understand the importance of Karma Yoga, which he is discussing from the fourth to the eighth. The eighth as a conclusion is what he is saying, that's why Niyatam Kuru karat. Constantly go on, don't try to, don't stop the action, Niyatan kuru karmattvam karma jyayoh hi akarmana. But constantly go on doing action because action is superior to inaction. karma jyayoh hi akarmana. sharira yatra pi chate na prasiddheda akarmana. Even for the bare maintenance of your body, sharira yatra. Just to maintain your body, it is not possible without being active, knowingly or unknowingly. Some sort of action has to go on, even to maintain your body. So don't fruitlessly, aimlessly, unproductively be deluded to think that I will attain peace by resorting to actionless. Wrong with your actions. Change the orientation. So entire Bhagavad Gita is actually a training in transforming and changing our orientation, not what we are doing or how we are doing. That's important. What we are doing is not important. How we are doing it, for that, the proper orientation should be there. And once we can do that, the same action, which was the cause of my suffering, becomes the source of perpetual
0: bliss. So from the ninth sloka, we will come to the one of the unique aspects of Bhagavad Gita that is the concept of Yajya.
1: Where you will find that the yajna is not just the ordinary fire sacrifice which has been spoken of in the Vedas, but that Karma Kanda. The yajna is something which actually en- encompasses our entire existence. It is a rhythm. The rhythm, the, you know, the word, English word rhythm came from the Sanskrit word the rhythm. It is the law. It is the truth behind the entire phenomenon of existence, the yagya, that's in one word it is the idea of interdependence that we will find uh, is being indicated in the Bhagavad Gita, in in that all encompassing sense, not in the limited sense, is being indicated in the Bhagavad Gita that it is the yagya which is the rhythm of our existence, the law of existence, the truth behind the existence. And being aware of that idea of interdependence, of that yajna, you continue with your action and that will enable you to transcend the polarities of joy and sorrow, this happiness and suffering. It will enable you to enjoy, transcend that and enjoy the perpetual bliss which we all, which we all aim for, which we all are uh, motivated. So that's the thing. This idea of Yadgir will be initiated from the ninth. Will be initiated from the ninth sloka of the third chapter, which we will start discussing again in the next class. So with this, we stop our discussion today.
0: Thank you all. Namaskaras.